there's opportunity in adversity. Before I was injured, when I had all my fingers and all my toes, I was a strong swimmer, could handle anything and very relaxed in the water. After I got injured, a couple years after, I decided that I wanted to try swimming again. I was on a naval base. I went to the swimming pool on camp. There was no one in there. I got in and I started swimming. I started to sink really quickly and I panicked. I didn't understand what was going on. And I started breathing really small amounts in and out of my nose and dragging myself to the side of the pool. And then I grabbed the edge, pulled myself back to the shallow and got out and didn't swim again for about four and a half years. Everyone will get this voice in their head saying, I can't do anything more, I'm done. And people will stop. So you realize that when that little voice starts saying, you're done, that it's time to stop, your body's only about halfway to actually being done. You've got to overcome that little voice in your head. Welcome back to The Healthy Beast. Mark Ormrod, MBE. You kept that quiet last time. And in fact, last time we did a podcast, <laughs> you, you just got your MBE and you're so modest, you didn't even mention. That's maybe because I haven't been to collect it yet. COVID's uh, put, a, put a stop on all that stuff. So I haven't had the, it maybe doesn't feel real yet because I haven't been to collect the physical medal. You can't just get, you can't just get emailed your MBE. That's something in the post, can you? You've got to go. And- you got to go for the whole experience and the, the photographs and the weekend that you spend up there with the family and just soak it all up. I think then it will sink in, but for now, we'll just be Mark Ormrod. Which of, of the many, of the many good things you've done, of which we'll come to some of the recent ones, what did you get the MBE for? Just generally making so it a better place? It was for work with the Royal Marines and the veteran community, which... I think is what made it, I don't want to say embarrassing because it's not the right word, but I think when you get rewarded for doing something that you love doing anyway and basically living your life, because I've been in, the, around, in and around the Royal Marines for over 20 years now. I've been in the Royal Marines uh, charity community for over 10 years and the wider tri-service veteran worldwide community ever since being injured. So it's just my life. That's, that's all it is. You know, I don't feel like I'm doing anything extra or above and beyond living my life, having a good time. And as a byproduct of that, sometimes people get helped, you know, and to get rewarded for it felt a little bit strange. But obviously, it's a huge, huge honor and one that I will try and strive continuously to to live up to and to uphold. Well, the stuff, the stuff you've been doing since last year, you've certainly been doing that and then and and then some, because the, the picture I can't get out of my head, for anyone that doesn't know, you know, of the four limbs you were born with, you just have the one remaining since that injury in 2007. And the, the you, you swam 1,000 metres. 1,100. <coughs> Sorry, I coughed then. 1,100, I think it was. 1,100 metres. By open, mistake. By mistake. Yeah. In open water. Now, to, can you, swimming's hard enough. Mm-hmm. Your legs are extremely important for swimming. Meh, meh, meh. <laughs> Fish don't have legs. They're pretty good at swimming. Are you adapting yourself into... I was doing a, like a mermaid flop <laughs> under the water, what you couldn't see. I was watching... That was how I got ready, mate. I watched Ariel and from The Little Mermaid, like back to back for a week to figure out how she does it. But, like, I mean, even, even, um, even in terms of... Because you've got some buoy. What if you've got some buoyancy aid and then propelling yourself? How does it work? How do you get through? The- no, not really. Um, so I think if I let me let me rewind a little bit and try and 
put the whole triple amputee swimming thing into context. Before I was injured, when I had all my fingers and all my toes, I was a strong swimmer. Now, I wasn't world-class by any means, but I was very confident, you know, pretty strong, could handle anything, and very relaxed in the water. You know, it, it wasn't something I really had to think about. When I'm in the water, I could think about other things and be confident and safe. After I got injured, a couple of years after, you know, I, I tried various different things with regards to health and fitness. I decided that I wanted to try swimming again. So I was on a naval base and I was still serving at the time. And during my lunch break, I went to the swimming pool on camp and there was no one in there. I was the only person swimming. There was a lifeguard in the office with his feet up, reading a magazine, just chilling. And I sat at the shallow end of the pool on the edge, dead center. You know, from left to right, I was dead center. And my plan was to get in the shallow end and swim one length right down to the deep end. For some reason, I didn't even consider staying close to the edge in case things went wrong so I could grab the ledge or anything like that. So I sorted myself out. I got in. And I started swimming and I didn't really have any stroke in mind. It was just like whatever works, like try a breaststroke, try freestyle, try a doggy paddle. You know, if I have to try backstroke, just figure out how to go forward and not in a circle because I've only got one arm. Now, before I was injured, I, I could tread water. I could have a conversation with you. You know, I had, I had my own way of swimming and, and it was fine. And But there was nothing what I would say was out of the ordinary that I needed to do to swim like anyone else. Now, when I started swimming for this first attempt prior to injury, I got kind of halfway down the pool. So if you were looking from a, a bird's eye point of view, it's pretty much dead center of the swimming pool, probably the most dangerous place to be, right? And I got really tired. And so I let out a breath and tried to take another one like you would. But when I, when I breathed out, I started to sink really quickly. And that never happened to me before when I had legs and, and both my arms. And I panicked. I didn't understand what was going on. And I knew that I was in a dangerous position. And there, there was no one else in the pool that I could have went, help, help. You know, there was a lifeguard, but he was, you know, off in the office. And I didn't, you know, I was just panicking. And as I started to sink, I thought the only thing I can do, you know, you just kind of want to be able to breathe till the last possible second. So I flicked my head back so that my nose was pointing at the ceiling and I managed to breathe in like a small amount of air through my nostril. And immediately it brought me back to the surface and kept me buoyant. Now I'm panicking, right? There's a million thoughts going through my head as I, as I start to sink. And then I come back up and immediately I thought air. Air has brought me back up. I need air in my lungs to be buoyant. And I literally cupped my hand and, and I started doing this. <laughs> like breathing really small amounts in and out of my nose and dragging myself to the side of the pool. And then I grabbed the edge, pulled myself back to the shallow end, got out and didn't swim again for about four and a half years because it, it, it worried me. But what I realized was that now for me to swim, I have to have air in my lungs. And, you know, in, in my head, when I think about it, I imagine a picture of my lungs and I have to have about an eighth of them with air in to be able to float or else I'll sink. So I relearned later on a whole new way of swimming that, incorporated me always having air in my lungs to stay above the surface of the pool to do it without any flotation aids and to do it safely so you know the we talked about the Invictus games last time I think I developed this whole new technique this breathing style that enabled me to go forward to have air in my lungs and to be able to swim at a decent pace competitively so that's twice in my life that I've had to learn to swim now when I jumped in the sea I had the opposite problem I was too buoyant 
I couldn't go under the because when I think you combine the the seawater and the buoyancy of that with a, a wetsuit, now I'm now I'm floating above the water all the time and I'm finding it hard to get down. So I didn't need any buoyancy aids in the sea. What we were doing now was trying to figure out how to swim effectively and efficiently without fighting to, to be at the right level to cut through the water. So I had to, the third time in my life, myself and my coach Ben had to figure out how we were going to do it. But what was brilliant was that it was one less thing for me to worry about. I didn't have to worry about having air in my lungs in the sea because the, the water helped me to float. But we figured it out. We figured it out quite quickly. Um, but luckily, down here in Plymouth, there are some seawater pools so we could train without the worry of currents and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And we figured it out. And then, yeah, like I said, it, it ended up being an advantage. It was one less thing to worry about. I could, I developed another breathing style for open water swimming and then we just went out there and we did it we did what we had to do which was the the thousand meter open water sea swim you seem to be i saw from your your excellent instagram account mark Mark ormord on instagram you you seem to be doing a lot of your training on the land Uh and it almost it almost seemed to me that like you were you were saving your saving getting into the water for maybe quite close to when you were attempting this kilometer long swim I would say the gym training outweighed the swim training, maybe three to one, two to one, three to one. And but it but it was all for a reason. Um, everything that Ben put together in the gym was to build up the muscles that I needed as an individual in my circumstances to swim effectively in the ocean. A lot of the ocean stuff getting in there. It was about the swimming and an increase in the mileage and everything, but I think a lot of it was more to do with experiencing the currents, getting comfortable in an open water environment, swimming in different weathers, you know, wearing a wetsuit, um, trying out goggles and, and hats. and You know what I mean? All the other things that you don't really think about that come with open water swimming. A lot of it is just being... There, there are people that are excellent swimmers in a pool, but when you put them in the sea, they just, they're not comfortable that, you know, there's jellyfish and seaweed and tides and currents and it's cold. You know, they don't feel comfortable in a wetsuit for whatever reason. And that that holds them back. So a lot of the getting in the sea was actually, because I haven't been in the sea really, especially that part of sea in Plymouth where I live in the Sound, since I was about 13. So a lot of it was a mental game of, of getting comfortable again. And, uh, and a lot of people that I've spoke to have actually said this, you know, getting comfortable with not having any idea what else is in there with you? Because it's murky water. And, you know, I, I think I said about it on one of the, the interviews, I ended up headbutting a jellyfish on the actual swim because I'm not used to that. And I, t- I took a breath, you know, come up for air, went back down in the water with my face under it and ended up coming literally nose to face with a jellyfish and I had to just keep headbutting it under the water until it got out of my way. <laughs> it was uh, it's creepy. When you said you'd headbutt it, I, I, I thought, I heard you say that and I thought you'd, accidentally headbutted it but you're talking about deliberately using the head to move well, the well i accidentally the did the first time but then because i'm swimming and i'm in a rhythm and i've only got one arm i didn't have anything else to move it with and it was just like doing this thing that they do to move into my face and and i'm like you know i don't know a lot about sea life but i know jellyfish sting you somehow so i had these big goggles on and i'm like get out my face get out my face so you corrected me it wasn't a thousand meter swim. It was a one thousand one hundred meter swim. Did you go? Is it just, did you go the wrong way, or we just we didn't adjust enough for the current? So 
there's a big shipping channel, what we swam right across. It's a man-made shipping channel for Brittany ferries and the naval ships and everything. And the current can be pretty, uh, pretty cheeky around there. So we had a, a point that we were swimming for, you know. So if, if in a straight line, it was 800 meters, we were aiming off to the right to allow for the current to drag us down. Then we were going to do a dog leg around these boys and swim back in to make up the 200 meters. But we left it too late and the current dragged us completely out of the way. And so then instead of, when we, instead of swimming forwards straight, we realized how far we'd gone wrong and we had to do a 90 degree turn and then swim into the current for like the last 300 meters or so. And it was awful. It was like swimming in treacle. It, it was the hardest part of it for me was that last 300 meters. But what was great about it, you know, it just the way it happened was as I was coming up for air and I'm looking at my left, I was looking at a road uh, that led to a car park and the entire road was lined with, with supporters. And it's the first time I'd seen them because I was so, all I do when I swim in the water was I was following Ben's feet and Dave's feet. They were left and right of me to let me know I was going straight. So I never really knew where I was in the water because it was just one more thing to keep on top of. But when I got to that last bit, as I was coming up for air and I'm looking anyway, I just see hundreds of people there. Like, I don't know what time it was, like maybe 7.15 in the morning or something, 7.30. Hundreds of people there waving banners and the flags and, and all sorts of stuff. And as I'm coming up now, I can start to hear people cheering. And I never, no, honestly didn't see them at all for, the, for that 800 odd meters we'd done before. And at the hardest part of the swim for me to see that was like that, morale boost i needed just to push out that last 300 meters in the toughest conditions and then bring it home you talk about buoyancy but the propulsion's got to be pretty tough too how long how long did it take you this whole swim 45 minutes tough yeah. tough 45 minutes right yeah yeah because you know what, as well you, you play the thing with swimming i don't know if this is for everyone but for me i get on my own little world it's like i, I compare it to like when you do cardio on a treadmill and you look at like the 10 minutes right and then you go Oh, it's only 10 minutes. So that's four, two and a half minutes or five, two minutes. Or if I break it down further, it could be 10, one minute, or it could be 20, 30 seconds. And you know what I mean? You just convince yourself in your head, all these different ways to break it down and and chunk it down to make it more manageable. So with the swim, I was using boys and and bits and pieces. And there was, you know, I would swim and I'd see a boy and then it'd be gone. And I'm like, yes, we're making massive progress here. But when we hit that current, and we're swimming upstream, there's this arch in the rock that leads into a place called the Royal William Yard, and it wasn't moving. Like the whole, it just, no matter how hard I swam, it just wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't disappearing. It was just there. I was like, <laughs> on a treadmill in the sea. And, and it was awful, mate. And yeah, that, it's just 45 minutes of just using one arm, like nonstop, constantly to drag yourself pretty much through. Because, for me, for that part, everything else was technique. You probably saw we had Sharon Davis come down and give us some coaching. So I learned a lot. And it was always in my mind, you know, when I'm in my own little world, technique, not not brute force and ignorant. Use the technique. That's what swimming's about. Don't fight against it and try and go mad. Just chill, relax, and use a technique. And that worked for most of the swim. But that last bit, you've really got to ramp it up and, and just use some brute force and ignorance to fight the current while also trying to maintain the right technique so reach long sweep all the way back do you know what i mean not none of these short little strokes you know it, it looks i think on the video a lot of the time that i was doing that at the end but for me for what i know for how i swim i, I was doing i was trying to do the, the right technique but yeah it's pretty rough it looks amazing mate how does it 
compared because your la- your previous uh, charitable endeavor so running 5k yeah. how does how do the two compare in levels of difficulty um i think in tar- in terms of i i found the run harder and the reason for that is i hate running so mentally i just never ever have liked it i just think it's boring it i just my frame isn't built for it you know i've got quite a heavy set frame and i just don't don't like it i use prosthetics for running and i because of covid i didn't have the opportunity to go to a prosthetic center to get them serviced adjusted and, and aligned correctly to make my running efficient so i was constantly fighting against some really poorly fitting prosthetics but with the swim i didn't have any prosthetics so there's nothing i needed to adjust except for my own technique using my body so i think that's what i, I preferred the swimming over the running uh, every day of the week and it's just nice being in the water it's if if no one if anyone listening to this hasn't for a long time or ever got in the sea you know the cold water and and experienced it just getting in there for a splash around like for your mental health is phenomenal you know running for me i just bleh, detest it so you didn't run much before you were injured only if i was being chased <laughs> i just i hated it it's funny because in in the marines if there were 60 of us out on a run i will always be in the last 10 always without doubt i, I and and i'd be broken you know i'd be i'd be throwing up while i was running because i just i didn't like it i wasn't good at it it didn't feel natural to me i never had a rhythm um but i just dragged myself through it because i had to but you must have been you you, you were you have you're kind of determined sportsman and very fit weren't you martial artist and so forth before you were injured because you must have had this determination that the way you've taken it into these injuries and just kept on pushing yourself did you always have that kind of level of grit yeah and this is the thing for me. Anything I did, it was never pretty. Like if I was, it was fighting, kickboxing, Muay Thai, I wouldn't ever say it was always, it was pretty, but I just never wanted to lose. Like for the martial arts, if you use that as an example, most of my competitions were before the age of 17, before I joined the Marines. And I was fighting men, 30-year-old plus, and I was winning because before I'd even stepped foot in the ropes, in my mind, there was no way I was losing it doesn't. It don't matter what happened. I I wouldn't stop. Do you know what I mean? So it was never because I was young and brash. It was never pretty. It was just like street fighting for me. I think now, if I still did martial arts of that, I would be so much more. Especially after you watch things like the UFC and you understand the tactics and strategies uh, of different opponents. You know, and there's so much that goes into being a good fighter. I was just an ugly mess back in the day, but I was just determined never to lose. Did you find when you when you became a Royal Marine, did you find that that mindset was something you found in a lot of your colleagues? It, it has to be. Like there, there are a few things going through Royal Marine and other military training that you have to get the mindset of technique over. So things like rope climbing, um, we do a thing called the regain where you hang off a rope and then with all your kit on, you've got to put yourself back on it. You can be the strongest man in the world. But if you've just been thrashed around an assault course for 45 minutes and you're blowing out your ass and you're trying to pull your body and your weight up a 30-foot rope using just your arms, you're not going to do it. Because physically, your arms will just blow out. Your lactic acid builds up in your forearms, your fingers won't shut, you can't get a grip, and you, you'll go. But if you listen to the instructors and the PTIs tell you the technique where you shift your knees up to your chest, wrap your feet around the rope, and you use your legs, which are much bigger muscles, to, and then you stand up, you're using your legs over your arms, you can do it. So 
a lot of it, yeah, is is brute force and ignorance, like the runs, the yomps, and all that kind of stuff. But there are certain things that you're taught where technique is much more powerful than strength. I just was thinking when you said that about the, the, the what it takes to become a Royal Marine, because um, I've spoken to a lot of Royal Marines now, former Royal Marines, and some of them, a lot of them are quite modest. I think about what you know what makes the Royal Marines perhaps different. You know, everyone wants to say, oh, all you know, all all units are good and all this kind of thing. What, what, what do you think it is that for you that's particularly special at the Royal Marine? It's a mindset. It is it's definitely a mindset. You know, it's before I joined the Marine, you know, if you're, if I'm working out, if I'm doing fitness, if I was even talking about competing again as a martial artist, everyone will get this voice in their head saying, I can't do anything more. I'm done. I'm, I'm wiped out. I'm, I'm zapped. And people will stop, right? Or they'll, they'll lose the fight or they'll quit the race or whatever. But in that environment around those other people that are they're all striving for that green beret and to achieve that same goal you get pushed so far past your limits you realize that when that little voice starts saying you're done it's time to stop your body's only about halfway to actually being done do you know what i mean it's just you've got to overcome that little voice in your head this is what i was saying just now like i would run and i'd be throwing up while i was running like my, that would be my body's reaction because I just I was just shit at it. But I understood to a degree that I could still keep going. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. Yeah, it was ugly. Yeah, I'll come in in the last 10 blokes, but my body can do it. I've just got to tell that little bloke in my head to shut the fuck up. And until I physically drop and need an ambulance, there's, there's plenty left in the tank. And you learn that mindset over time, you know, and this is going to sound really assy. But plenty of other people can claim to have that mindset and, and they can say, oh, I could be a Royal Marine. Well, you're not. You, you had the same opportunity that I did and thousands of others did, but you didn't take it. Why not? You can talk all day long about having the mindset, but unless you've walked the walk, then you don't. You know what I mean? Does it make it, does it, make it hard sometimes to relate to people that aren't your former brothers from the... Royal Marines, you know, does it, do, do, do you think there are things that kind of only you understand? And- yeah, there are. I mean, I have empathy for people. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I don't see people that struggle and, you know, might do a race and, and pull out and give them shit about it. Do you know what I mean? Because they haven't been exposed to the same things that, that we have. Do you know what I mean? They don't understand the power they have because they've not been exposed or put in a position where they've got to pull it out of themselves to use it. Do you know what I mean? Human beings are unbelievably resilient. We're the most adaptable things ever. When you think about it, right, we can, we can swim. I know we can't physically fly, but we've got the ability to, to operate in the air. We can walk. We can hike mountains. We can be in the cold. We can be in the, the humid. We can be in the, the desert. We adapt to everything. Do you know what I mean? We can physically, you look at what some people can do physically. You know, you look at people like, and, and I'm not advocating this because everyone's different and some people do it to a level that's dangerous. But you look at people like David Goggins, right, who got shin splints and then masking taped his shins up to carry on doing a 24-hour race. <laughs> Most people would have been like, yeah, I'm done now. He's like, no, nah, just pass me a roll of masking tape. I'm just going to masking tape my shins up to stop the pain a little bit and I'll carry on. You know what I mean? And uh, that's phenomenal. But that just that's proves my point of, you know, I bet he had that voice in his head all the time telling him to stop, but he kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Obviously, you know, like I said, you can get, you could get dangerous with it. You have to be safe. But human beings can do so much if they just 
understand what what we're capable of. Yeah, I was the thing I was writing down the, the ability to ignore the voice in your head. I think is mm. very a very important one. I think it's true what you say about being resilient, and that, but I think where's where, where it can be difficult, I suppose, is that people can be very physically resilient, but you talk about the things you guys have seen, be very physically resilient, but it's impossible not to bring some of that back with you, I guess. And and these things can be pretty tough to deal with. I mean, you've obviously got severe physical injuries and that's something you're having to deal with every day. Being being who you are, instead of just dealing with it, you've turned it into a a thing and you're, you're using it as an example to others and a very good one, by the way. And I've had lots of conversations since... Our last podcast, you know, people people have said to me in the past that oh, I can't believe you still train when I've you know I've got a bit of a dodgy ankle. You know, people say this to me, and I say, right. well, you know, this is, there's a lot worse things you can have than that, and, and keep going. So you 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 are an extremely good example, but I guess there is a lot more. There's a lot more stuff that you don't see. I guess is, is what I'm saying. There's people that are resilient, but they they carry stuff with them. Maybe you can't mm-hmm. see, and a lot of guys, a lot, a lot of guys suffering. So, mm-hmm. so I think, yeah, you, you've, you, you maybe you've got these guys with this particularly Royal Marines, and they, they've got this particularly special mindset. But perhaps sometimes we can be too tough for our own good, or people can be too tough for our own good. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I think in certain circumstances, you know, people can. But you know what what you're saying about the Royal Marines mindset. I've I've met countless civilians that have a very similar mindset. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of it's to do with environment. You know, you have the old nature versus nurture argument. I think it's a, a very good combination of both, which helps develop resilience in people and a resilient mindset. You know, people understanding what, what they're capable of. You know, if you're, again, I this is going to sound judgmental, but if, you, if you're molly coddled growing up and everything's given to you and you never have to really work for anything and you don't know what you're capable of doing physically, mentally, and then all of a sudden that's taken away from you, the smallest thing in the world can seem like a massive tragedy to you. Do you know what I mean? But if you if you grow up and you are, you know, you have to work for things and put the effort in and find out about yourself and go on this little personal journey, you develop resilience. You know, and and that that's a a really valuable trait I think to have throughout life because you're going to call on it a lot when you go through life. Like you know, my daughter, my 16 year old daughter, she just left school and. She applied for an apprenticeship in, you know, Babcock. So they've got a huge footprint. It's a massive company. They do stuff. I think they're doing nuclear uh, subs and all that kind of stuff, submarines. But she applied for an apprenticeship uh, as an executive assistant. And we all really thought she had a, a great chance of getting it. And she did. She had as good a chance as anyone else. And I got told yesterday, she texted me and said, I didn't get it. And I was more devastated for her than I would have been if that was me getting told I didn't make it. But I just tried to let her know that although it sucks right now, I, I didn't, these aren't the words I used precisely, but I was trying to get across the message that these knockbacks happen and you need to keep your chin up and you need to just try and draw a line under it and keep plugging forward. Go for the next thing, go for the next thing, go for the next thing. And just understand that that's not the end of the world. That's just a speed bump on your road, right? And it's going to happen a million times more in your life. But don't sit and dwell on it don't moan about it don't say that it's unfair except that it is what it is and crack on and do, do you know what she did she sent them an email i never told her to do this this is ha- the level i think she's at already and i'm really proud of her for it she sent an email saying 
thank you very much for letting me know I've been unsuccessful. Would it be okay to get some feedback on where I was lacking so I can improve in those areas moving forward? Right. And I just, I was just blown away. Like, what? You did that? She went, yeah, I think it's important to know, you know, where they thought I didn't do so well so that when I apply for other things, I can improve those areas. And that to me was just like massive. I thought, what a mature thing to do. And I said to her, you know, that this is, this is the thing about life, right? You never know what's going to happen. So whoever was successful, say five people were successful. One of them may encounter a circumstance now where they can't go on to do that apprenticeship. You may be the only one that was unsuccessful that sent that email saying, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Can I get some feedback? Straight away, you stand out in people's minds. Because now when they're looking for the person to fill that place, they go, oh, Kezia sent us an email asking for feedback. No one else did that. She's got something that the others haven't. We're going to put her in that place. Now, that probably won't happen. But I was trying to let her know that what she's done stands her in good stead and makes her stand out and be different to other people because she's she's exhibited qualities that maybe other people haven't. And I, honestly, I was, in, I was in the car like blown away when she was telling me. That's amazing, mate. Well, you should be. You should be very proud. Mm. I, I mean, it, it, it must be infectious because the thing that comes across from all the stuff you put out is positivity and that thing you've just been talking about, you know, driving forward if just accepting the situation. Obviously, for you, you've had to accept the situation, you know, with an injury that you've had to accept it and move on. And But there must have been times when that was you know, not there must have been times when you felt you couldn't do that. There must have been times when, and there must maybe still, you, I guess you have to put out a positive image, but there must be times when life doesn't, you don't feel like being like. There are, yeah. I mean, rewinding the clock, the early parts of my recovery were, were awful, you know, but they were, there were only a few incidents where it, I, I was just beaten. I felt beaten. Do you know what I mean? I got over it very quickly. Because I, what I put it down to is, is having incredible people around me and a, a really good support system of, from the Royal Marines, from the, the doctors and nurses, the physios, from my friends and my family who helped me get through those initial shitty times. And, and I do have them now still. You know, I've not had a great week this week. There's been a bit of a crash post-swim where I mean, I've got a week off of training and I feel to a degree like I don't know what to do with myself. And then, you know, I've always got plenty to do. But and I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but over the years, and I'm sure anyone listening to this can relate to this, I have been what I would call uh, seen off by people. People have taken advantage of me. They, they've done things that don't align my values and morals. And over the years, I, I've, I've adapted to that and I've become uh, aware of that. And that's what happens. And I've, I've made my circle smaller and smaller and smaller. And something happened recently where I thought I was in a good place and I could spot this stuff happening and it happened again. And, you know, so I've spent a couple of days questioning myself and I, I get, I just get disappointed. I think when this kind of stuff happens, you know, cause like with a swim, effectively we're trying to do something good to help people. And you just like to think that people wouldn't take advantage of that. And, you know, I kind of got stung again, but I'm just like, you know what, just like what happened with Kezi, it's a knockback. It's a speed bump. You know what I mean? I'll get over it and then we'll move on. And we'll, we'll, we'll learn lessons from that and we'll keep the circle smaller. We'll take those lessons forward and we'll try not to make those mistakes again. And those things affect me, you know, and make me feel bad because I don't know, I just, I just feel disappointed, you know? So in terms of injuries though, you know, we're, we're good. You know, I, I got over it a long time ago. Um, and now I just see is 
is the good. And I keep forgetting. I, I think I, I created this quote and I keep forgetting what it is, <laughs> but I'm going to write it down. I think I said once, it just came out, there's opportunity in adversity. I think that's what I said. And what I mean is, you know, the life that I've been fortunate enough to build now is off the back of adversity. You know, I found opportunity from it. And there's, I mean, you know, mate, we, we talked before about all the other, the cool things that I do in my daily life because of my situation that I'm in and, you know, the way I've taken it, you know? So any any adverse situation has an opportunity or multiple opportunities if you're willing to look for them. Yeah, for definite. No, I, I, of course you don't. You don't need to dwell on the stuff that, that pisses you off because I think, as you as you rightly say, you're when it happens, you're using it. Oh, okay, it's, it's a waste of time. A, yeah. It's, it's a waste it, of your time. And I, I don't know why, right? But I go through these phases where I... This is going to sound arrogant maybe, but I go through these phases where I care what people think of me. Most of the time, I don't give a shit. But then I go through these times where I think, well, I'm really like aware of it. Maybe people think I'm an asshole. Maybe people think I'm a dick. And when it comes to like my circle now, I, I'm ruthless. Because I've been burnt so many times in the past, I'm ruthless. I don't give people second chances. If they come in and I think that they've manipulated me or weaseled their way in, and then I see what they're truly all about, they're out of the circle and there's no getting back in. And I think sometimes that can make me appear cold, but it's, it's not. It's because I value my time. I want to spend it with people that are like me, that are on the same mission as me, that have the same values, morals, and ethics that I do. And I just don't want to dwell on any of the negative. The negative just goes out and I, I, don't, I won't focus on it. I refuse to, which I think can make me feel cold, but it's just, I think it's, it's coming from a positive place. I think it has to because you, you can be, as you are, a, a very positive person. But as soon as you start having any kind of profile and, you know, being on the telly and things, other other stuff is going to come with that. There are going to be people who come along. Well, you just the very fact that, you know, as soon as as soon as a, a, a social media account gets some following, there'll be people looking for you know, looking, mm. looking to, to join in with that. You can't do it. You can't have any kind of profile without getting a few right. maybe undesirable approaches. So I guess it's, it's just, I guess you're doing the right thing of learning how to deal with them early on and, and kind of yeah. not, not letting that affect how you are as a person and how you, how you, how you come across in your, in your public persona, but more importantly, how you're living your daily life. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, you can't, you can't have, there's always, there's always going to be someone isn't there mm-hmm. trying to trying to steal you and i think you. the more you do and the more you put yourself out there and you know to a degree that the bigger your profile gets the more those people that you're going to come across because i think people i get when you when you start becoming successful there are people out there now that, that look at you and they see something that you can do for them and you can give to them and what they can take from you and that's when they all start trying to trying to infiltrate your circle and I have got to a point now, like I said, some slip through the net, but I'm pretty ruthless and on point now with not letting those people into my life. Because as things move forward and get bigger, it just gets worse. I was having this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine who's a former Marine. And we were both saying, like, it must be awful to be famous. Like, you could be having a real bad day, right? And you go and sit in a costa and you, all you want to do is go and sit in a corner and catch up on your emails and, and enjoy a coffee. And then you get four or five people asking you for an autograph. And maybe you're snappy one of them. And you're like, look, I just want to drink my coffee. Can you leave me alone? 
And then all of a sudden, you're all over social media. Oh, what an asshole. All I did was ask him for an autograph and look what... But they've got no context to the situation and they forget that you're a human being, you know? And it, it would just be horrible. That's the really that's the really mean thing, isn't it, about proper famous people? Because you, sh- you should be allowed to act a bit like an asshole occasionally. You know, everyone does yeah. it. Everyone, yeah. everyone snaps and is mean. But for most of us, it just, you know, you move on and it goes unnoticed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a... It's a it's unfair that we think anyone should have to help, be held up to standards we don't hold ourselves up to. Right. Yeah. But no, it sounds like sounds like you, it sounds like you're doing the right thing. You know, you, you're just sticking to your positive message. Yeah. I wanted to ask you something that that came up last time we spoke, and it's another thing I've I've thought about a lot because I asked you about pain, and you said don't have discomfort. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't entirely believe you, and we'll move on to that, and that's fine. But it 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 was. As a thing, as a thing you said, it stuck with me because quite often I think you can you can have something that can be one or the other, and, and how you and how you this may be not what you're doing, but you, you can speak for yourself. But how you how you interpret your feeling is very important. So if you're like, oh, I'm in pain, then you've kind of that you're you, you, you're suffering. If it's discomfort, it might be just a different word to some people, but I think it's important whether you're in pain or discomfort because it's like you're deciding to not let something bother you is were you were you doing something like that when you is that a conscious decision of yours to talk about discomfort rather um i don't think so you know i mean i'm getting older like everyone and you know my prosthetics they they take it takes me three to five hundred percent more energy to do anything than anybody else they have an impact on my body i do the jujitsu the swimming the running the weightlifting so there's it's what yeah you could call it pain you know you get joint pain bit of muscular pain um you know i don't have so much i think what i was probably saying was referring to my situation and and my friend's situations when you get traumatically amputated and blown up a lot of them have nerve pain and stuff like that and uh, i've been fortunate enough not to to get that or to be able to deal with it quite easily but i get get the same aches pains and and bits and pieces as everyone else um i just manage it i manage it how do you manage it lifestyle you know, I, I used to notice a while ago that if I go out drinking, you know, joint pain and stuff will be a lot more the next day. I think it's due to inflammation and stuff like that. So you have to be very conscious of what you eat. So have more of a, a try to have a more alkaline than acidic diet. You know, I'm not a, a monk, but you've got to kind of live like an athlete to a degree. You know what I mean? Where it's where it's enjoyable. So you'd be conscious about the food you put in your body, the, the liquid you put in your body supplements are really important so i take the right kind of supplementation especially when it comes to to anti-inflammatory anti-inflammatories in fact i have some here so this is one of the things that i take a word, from, is, your, a word from your sponsor hold up a bit closer truth cbd but oh yes so yeah truth naturals truth origins they're a company they do so this right here is a cbd blend with and i always say this wrong curcumin or cucumin no, that, 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 that's is that right i was saying holding up to the camera mostly audio only anyway but yeah yeah so it's a it's it's cbd with curcumin in yeah so they've kind of infused cbd the the non-hallucinogenic side of of that with i can't say it curcumin Cur- curcumin curcumin, Cur- Cur- curcumin which is that i believe has uh the part that has been extracted from turmeric, another thing I can't say, which has really, really good anti-inflammatory values. And I've got that. I've got a bunch of their other 
CBD products, um, which I use because, you know, I've got one arm, right? I really have to look after this elbow, this shoulder and, and my hips and all that kind of stuff. So what we were talking about just now with, with food and, and the right kind of lifestyle, I, I stretch regularly after training. And then I use this in my water or I take the CBD before bed to help keep my joints healthy, you know, and as a byproduct, I think, you know, I, it's helped me deal with, I, I sleep a lot better now with the the straight up CBD stuff. This is stuff up, this curcumin and, and everything I put in water and I'll just sip throughout the day. But the CBD, the straight up stuff, the thousand or 1500 milligram concentration helps me sleep better at night and helps me deal with, and this is something that's hard for me to say as a, as a bloke, because I don't know why, because, but you know, I, I get anxiety like everyone does. You know, I'm a public speaker. I do things like this. I'm, I'm, I do stuff on the TV. I've constantly got things going around in my head, particularly at bedtime. And I've just found it helps me with stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? I just noticed an improvement after about two weeks of, of getting it properly into my system. Just feel a lot more zen, if you like. You know, it's just really been that little thing that's complemented everything else that I've done and helped me. I think, I think CBD is great. And um, particularly a lot of people, you look at what people are taking instead of as well. Because right. a lot of people would be taking Neurofet mm-hmm. things, you know, ibuprofen, which they thought was fine. For, it turns out it's terrible. Right. Stuff. well yeah, yeah it's, it's good for it works on the inflammation but it messes up your your, your vital organs so you know. and they're kind so, of important yeah so. you're, you're gonna need those at some point but so. the thing is i've never been a massive fan of this i'm not bashing the pharmaceutical industry but i've just never been a fan of it i've always i think it's maybe from back in the, the kind of martial arts the mindset of just letting your body obviously there's a place for it right if like when i first got blown up i needed stuff but you know, with a headache, you know, with, with a little little minor things, I used to like to let my, my body try and build up an immunity to it and to deal with it. And, you know, I, I ditched my medication after injury very early on and figured out alternative ways to, to manage and deal with the pain and to get rid of a massive amount of it. We, you said earlier about the discomfort and pain stuff, that there's still a little bit of that. Of course there is, because like I said, well, I'm getting older and my body's under a lot more strain than an average person. But having supplements like this and living the way that I do helps that massively. And my goal is, you know, I want to be like 100 years old, mobbing around on prosthetics still, not, you know, crippled up in, in a wheelchair with all sorts of problems, you know, just kind of surviving day by day. I want to be like active and, and alive, you know, at, at that kind of age. So you got to be proactive with how you look after yourself. Yeah, I think I think like you are now, not just not not taking the injury and and and, and retreating into the background, but being front and center and showing what you can do exactly like yep. you should be. Mm-hmm. I think I think wanting to be able to do things late into life is a good approach to to anything health wise. Because you're right about you need you're not going to say no to. The, the correct medication if you, if you need it when you're in hospital if you're absolutely you stay in the aftermath of a traumatic injury but it's whether you go on taking those things every day yeah. which almost in almost all situations you shouldn't do if you avoid it yeah i'm just i'm just i'm a without going outside and hugging a tree right now i'm a, I'm a big fan of naturally dealing with stuff and this stuff that i take here is from nature you know so the more good stuff that i can get in my body the better plants got to be yeah plants over pills plants over pills there you so, go so you're you're um you're you're swimming you'll run 
they're both for charity, right? And you raise some ridiculous amount. What, what charities? It's for Reorg, a charity called Reorg, which um, is very new. It's been going for a while, but officially only since October last year. So... Reorg is a word. Reorg is a word. Sorry to interrupt. Reorg is a word that might need explaining to non-military people because it it has a meaning, right? It does. Uh, It's short for, I guess, if you like, reorganization. So the easiest way I can think to explain it is if you are in the military and you're in a section, a troop, unit, whatever it is, and you're going to on a mission, you're going to attack an objective. Say that objective has two parts, right? Part one is neutralize the enemy in the threat part two there might be another phase of that and then maybe part three is you know go get the hostage so you will plan it obviously everyone has a responsibility and a role you will practice it practice it practice it and then you go out and do it right but as soon as bullets start flying everywhere everything goes to shit right but let's say for this example you're successful you go and you do phase one you neutralize the enemy during that phase you may have taken casualties you certainly have spent ammunition. You might have damaged equipment. So before you move on to phase two, you have a reorg, which is when you come back together and you check all these things. You check that all your mates are okay. You check you've got enough ammunition. You check your equipment works. Then you move on to phase two. So reorg, the charity, the, the name is like a metaphor for life. So whether you've been in the military, the police, the ambulance service, the fire brigade, that's like phase one, right? And you've spent all your time working on phase one. Then you move on to phase two when you when you leave. You know, and then when you do that, it makes sense to reorg, you know, come back together, get back around the people and not necessarily people that you you know, but, you know, get around the real community and check each other off. Make sure everybody is OK before you move on to phase two or phase three or phase four. So it's all it's really a metaphor for for looking after each other, checking each other off, making sure everybody's got what they need before they move on to the next part of their life or parts of their life you know it's about looking after each other and and i guess the 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 main reason i suppose maybe this is my interpretation of it but it's perhaps people that may be having they maybe have left the services and they're having difficulty readjusting or they just need some sort of camaraderie and and real pulls them together principally through jiu-jitsu martial arts like jiu-jitsu but not just Mm -hmm. that it's really giving them a sense of community because a lot of the people i've spoken to say you know, you can, it's easy to feel a bit lost when you leave. And particularly, um, this may have been a situation for you is when it's one thing, if you, it can be difficult to leave under any circumstances, but particularly when you're, you're, you have an injury that means you can't carry on doing the job you did before. Mm -hmm. So for whatever the reasons people leave, a lot of them have difficulties and reorg is kind of getting them together and giving them that sense of community. And yeah, if you speak to I don't know. I can't speak for the emergency services because I've I've never been a part of them. But if you speak to a lot of military men and women, what ninety nine percent of them will say, if you ask them what they miss about the military, it will be their friends and, and their comrades. And that's because I think that when you join, you've all got a shared goal, right? Which is to maybe earn a green beret or pass out of of army selection for this unit or do this in the navy, whatever it is, right? And you are on that journey with a bunch of people that have the same goal, right? And to get to that goal, you go through hardship, but you share that hardship. So you bond when you're doing that. You're all, you've all got the same passion, the same goal, and you all go through the same shit. And then when you come out the other end and you've achieved that goal and you've helped each other through it, there's a bond there that is very, very rare that you can't really get anywhere else. And that 
is what reorg is is about to a degree. So you, you said about jujitsu. That's that's another perfect example of it. You know, that's the the jujitsu community is the closest community that I've found to the military because you're all on this mission, right? It, it may be slightly different. You might want to be a black belt, a world champion. You might just be along because you enjoy the, the self-development. But you go through the shared hardships of learning, of going through the belt colors, of progressing. You help each other through. You're sharing your passion and you bond because of that. You know, and it's, we're tribal animals. You know, we need to be around people that are like us, who have those kind of shared goals and shared passions. And, and it's, it's massively, I think, underrated. To, to do that, to be around those people. And that's why Reorg has, has expanded now. So open water swimming is another good example. Like the people in those communities, they they all have this passion for being in the ocean. They all go through this shared hardship of being freezing cold and swimming about in these dodgy currents and increasing their mileage over time. But then they get out and they warm up and they have a hot drink together and, and, and they bond, you know? And I think it's the same with, all these other communities, cycling, rock climbing, uh, whatever it may be. That's why Reorg is is growing the way it is now because it's not just focused around jujitsu. That was the core, but it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and encompassing more and more people. Well, that's a brilliant charity. What, what have you got? You said you said you felt a bit of a lull after your swim. Have you do you are you straight on to the next challenge? Or have you- yeah, we've we've got a, a hundred mile bike ride planned for the end of August. What? Yeah, so. And this is the thing as well. So all these different events require different training. And I had a taster session on Tuesday. So it was Friday now, so like three days ago. And then Ben gave me the rest of the week off. This is the style of training that I like the least. It's one, So one minute I could be doing chest press, bodybuilding, right? And then the next minute I'm on a ski arc, banging out five minutes fast as I can, right? Then I'm doing some sort of resistance work. And then I'm dragging a sled down the gym and my body doesn't know what it's supposed to be doing. It's like, am I doing strength training? Am I lifting weights? Am I doing cardio? What am I doing? And it's horrible. I hate it. Um, And he's now up the training to three times a week, which is wonderful. (laughs) So I've got a couple of weeks of just getting hammered, but it's the type of training that I need. It's endurance training, high volume, high reps, um, high intensity. It's what I need for this next challenge because a hundred miles is a long way. And on a hand cycle, which I'll be on, that can only be powered with one arm. I'll have a prosthetic on, but I don't have an elbow in my right arm. So it's only good for steering. There's not any power really that comes from that right arm. So to go 100 miles doing that, I need a a specialized type of training. So that's what we're going to be doing. Starting from Tuesday, um, I've got the weekend to, to chill. And then we're going to be straight back in it. Straight back in. And like the other challenges, is, do you think it's possible or you just you pick a number and we'll have a crack at that? No, this will be possible. And and so this is one of the things I'm also learning since I started training jiu-jitsu, since I've been a triple amputee, since I swam and was coached by Sharon, I, and I'm getting older, right? I'll be 38 this year. I am really starting to see the importance of technique with whatever I'm doing over just brute force and strength. And with cycling, I did a bit of it in the Invictus Games. I know that there are there are certain, you know, you have to be in the right gear for the right terrain, right? You have to, there are ways you can use the road, the way the road cambers off, hill, you can use it to your advantage if you know what you're doing. I don't. Everything I do is just like, 
let's go, let's go, let's go as fast as we can. Yeah. And I, it's just stupid, you know, right? So I'm going to get a, a coach, a cycling professional to teach me that stuff. So that 100 miles, I'm not constantly in this uphill battle because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to see, oh, look, they told me that this part of the road, I should be up here because it makes it easier and more efficient for me. And at that point, the coach told me I need to be in that kind of gear to make it easier for me. So, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm learning to use the bike and my environment rather than just my bicep. So it should be manageable. So it's an important lesson. It, um, it took me years to learn that in jiu-jitsu, possibly still learning it. But something, <laughs> we, something we, what we all need to get. Do you okay. know what? Sorry, sorry to interrupt, mate, but Sam the founder of Reorg, he posted a, a video the other day. I think he WhatsApped it to me. And it's his bodybuilder and he's got an apple, right? And he's twisting this apple. I think he's trying to show how strong he is, right? And he's twisting it. He's got his shirt off and his pecs are all popping. He's twisting and twisting and twisting this apple. It takes about a minute. And eventually, poof, he, the, the apple kind of snaps. It's supposed to be in half, but it's not. It's just a, a mush, right? And then it flips to this other guy who gets an apple and just gets a knife. And he very gently just goes, slices down the middle of it, gets the same result. And that to me was just like technique and tools over strength. That's 100% like what it's about. The guy had the right tool. He used the right technique and he cut the apple beautifully in half. The other guy's doing what I do. It's like, just trying to twist and smash this apple up. And it was just more effort than it needed to be to to achieve the same result. Yeah, not, don't always just need toughness and strength, do you? No, not at all. Oh, mate. So listen, um, so the, we mentioned the, we better mention the charity again. So the charity, if people want to find out more, is Reorg. Reorgcharity.com. And your, your, your CBD sponsor is? Truth Naturals. Truthnaturals.co.uk. Yeah. I should know that. Just Google it. You oh, yeah, you'll it. find it. You'll find, you'll find it. them. They're everywhere. Mate, well, it's been fantastic to talk to you. You too, Best mate. of luck Thank with you. the training and look forward to catching up again soon. Yeah, and just before I go, mate, what we have discussed with the bike ride is inviting people to take part with us. We're going to try and break it down into five legs, five 20-mile legs, and invite 20 people to do a part of each leg. Um, first of all, so that 100 miles is quite a lot. That can be quite intimidating. That, I think, would appeal to elite cyclists. But because I go so slow that they really don't want to do that with me because they'll be bored out of their brains. So we'd really like to try and get anyone that would like to attempt it to come and do a leg with us. I've, I've explained that longer than I meant to because what I was getting at was that you need to dust off your Lycra and your hey, bike helmet, you, I'm in. Oil, oil up your chain and get yourself as part of this challenge with us. When is it? We're 20th of August. 20th of August. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not allowed to go on holiday this year, so I'm in. There you go. Perfect. Become perfect. Happy days. I'll do it. And I've, I've promised now, so I'm in. Happy days. And, and the best place to find out anything you're up to is your Instagram, right? Yes. Um, right? I'm on well. social media daily. All of my platforms are just at Mark Conrad. And at Reorg Charity is where you can find out more about Reorg. Perfect. All right, mate. Cool. That, thanks very much for that. That was brilliant. Lovely to talk to you, mate. Catch up soon. All right. Cheers, Cheers Rich. Rich. Thanks, bye, mate. Bye. bye. Cheers, mate. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Thanks again to Mark Ormrod. He's at Mark Ormrod on Instagram and everywhere else. The coach he mentioned was Ben Wadham, and that's down at Pantheon Gym in Plymouth. 
Reorg is at Reorg Charity on Instagram and website is reorgcharity.com. Healthy Beast is healthybeastpodcast.com and on Instagram is at healthybeastpodcast. Thanks very much for listening.